right, friends and fam. Thank you guys so much for joining every day is a Saturday. Now I have my one of my favorite guys here, Robert. He's a Marine. Thank you so much for showing up. You are my first in-person guest. I'm actually absolutely excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Semper Fi. Er. So let's uh, get to know a little bit about Robert. Robert. So uh, you joined the Marine Corps. What made you join the Marine Corps? How was the Marine Corps for you? What did you do in the Marine Corps? I uh, I was uh, I was came back from Vietnam in '67, and I uh, went back to school. Good move. And uh, one day I was driving by Naval Air Station Jacksonville. I saw two A4s in a break, and I said, that's what I want to do. So uh, I uh, rejoined the uh, Marine Air Reserve at Jacksonville, VMA 142, Go Gators. And uh, that's how it all started. I, I was enlisted, and I was uh, a line, uh, a line made, made it from uh, plane captain to line chief. And two others, in two other squadrons and of A4s, and uh, progressed on to that. And I was in helicopter squadrons and uh, OV-10 squadron, which was a great, uh, great move for me. And uh, I moved myself up to uh, uh, chief warrant officer in 1974, and uh, continued on. And I retired from the Marine Corps in uh, 2004. So I had a good run. I enjoyed it. Served with the finest uh, people I had working with me were just superb Americans, and uh, got to fly a little bit, not much. As a maintenance officer, you get to fly on. Sometimes you can get a hop on a maintenance ride or something like that, and I enjoyed that. And uh, in the meantime, I got my bachelor's and master's degrees in aeronautics, and my pilot's license. I'm commercial pilot and. Uh, an instructor pilot now i retired i was an engineer at uh, nasa and uh, dod at edwards retired from that retired from the marine air reserve now i'm an instructor flight instructor out at fox field here in lancaster wow that's outstanding so let's uh go back a little bit into uh your military career and talk about how you progressed and uh what rank you were and uh when you got out and all that stuff and yeah i started I started out like everybody else, and uh, finally uh, I worked my way to corporal, and I was working on aircraft. Uh, I was a plane captain on A4s and a plane captain on the uh, uh, helicopter. And then uh, I was too old for a direct commission at the time, so and they were cutting back. So my commanding officer put me in for the warrant officer program. I didn't even know it. And uh, I got picked up for that in 1974 and uh, progressed all the way to Chief Warrant Officer 4 when I retired. And uh, I enjoyed it. I had a great time. I'd do it again, except the Commandant said, no, you, no you're not. So that was the end of that. But uh, So I had uh, 39 and a half years total time, both in the reserves and on active duty. As a matter of fact, my last two years in the Marine Air Reserve was on active duty enduring freedom they called me back uh to be a maintenance officer in a helicopter squadron uh before it went over to afghanistan and uh so i retired the day they shipped out i had to get out at age 60 you're done that's that's federal law but that's okay um the guys took care of themselves and everybody came home fine as a matter of fact when they came home 
six months later I've, I've been retired uh, by then and uh, we had the Marine Corps birthday ball a uh, couple of months after they returned and my wife and I got married that afternoon and we went to the ball that night so I tell people I said you know you want a cheap reception join the Marines <laughs> <laughs> in a good time yeah a good time in a good time a lot of work but a lot of sweat and blood and and tears but it was worth it and uh as i said i i worked with the finest folks uh the 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 uh the ethics that were involved with these guys were you wanted to go to work every morning i i can't explain it any other way i couldn't wait to get up at 5 a.m and get out there and uh uh, I've never, I've never felt that way about <clears throat> any other uh, goings on, except well, now that I, I instruct, I, I get up early to get out there to beat the heat and fly with my students. But serving with the Marines the way I did were, were best years of my life. Yeah, you know, I mean, forty years of it—that is yes, a long time. And and I mean, I have the utmost respect for you, Robert. I mean, my gosh. Um, a lot of people can't hack four years, let alone 40. That is a long time to dedicate to the country and serve your country, man. Well, I was very fortunate in being in uh, great organizations and serving with good folks. And and uh, as a matter of fact, if you look in my closet at home, all my camis, all my flight gear, everything still fits. And my uh, mess dress and all that for the Marine Corps ball, it all still fits, thank goodness. So uh, I try to keep my thumb in the pie as best I can. Yeah, I can't say the same. <laughs> and I've been uh, out probably uh, long into the news. I mean, not as long as you, actually. Actually, you said you got out in 2004, huh? 2004, I, I was retired. Um, That's So I got out in 2004. I, yeah. I joined in 2000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was at, at 2002. I joined HMH 769, which is a CH-53 squadron, and it came out here to Edwards. The Marines put a squadron, or actually two squadrons of helicopters, reserve helicopters, and they both went overseas. Um, so when they moved them here, I guess they found my name that I lived here, and I asked if I wanted to go on active duty for my last tour in the Marine Corps. So it worked out great for me. Number one, it was a great organization. Number two, my retirement points went out of sight, as you can imagine, and uh, I enjoyed that. I was sorry, actually, I was sorry not to be able to go overseas with them uh, because here I was training with them for two years, and then he said, hey, you've got to get out. It's a federal law, And but Sergeant Major promised me that he'd bring them all home, and he did, so it, it worked out fine. So you're telling me right now if you, you would have went past that 40, huh? Well, we tried to get a waiver and uh, went all the way to Department of Defense, and they just won't. They couldn't do it. Yeah. Now, the only way you're going to go stay on active duty after age 60 is if you're a general officer with a command. And, you know, I tried to fake it, but they, they, they saw right through me. You know, <laughs> I wasn't a general, so it didn't work. But as it turned out, it turned out about right. You know, everybody came home. It was a good time had by all, and uh, uh, the ball we had when they came back was like a, it was like old home week. So it worked out fine. That's great. So are you involved in any of the like local 
VFWs or uh, I belong. I did belong to the VFW locally and supported them. And uh, I was in the Marine Corps League for a while, and then I started getting busy flying. So, uh, uh, but uh, you know, I support the veterans associations, and uh, we had uh, the veterans parade out here at Quartz Hill a couple of years ago. I marched in that, and I tried. To, I tried to do that. Uh, there's and also uh, the uh, uh, Semper Fi League, which is supporting um, Marines that were injured, disabled. Uh, I, I'm a big contributor there. And uh, that makes me feel good to go down and see those guys. They're terrific. Um, and uh, that's what I'm trying to do now to, to keep it going, to keep it alive and keep it, keep it uh, righteous. As you can, as as you may say. So, yeah. anyway, uh, uh, there's a limit to what you can do anymore. But uh, still, I I believe in I believe in what they're doing, and that's a, and they're good organizations, and they're well well uh, deserved of our support. That's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't really been very good at getting involved in the community. That's kind of why I actually reached out, and that's how I actually well, this met, is great here. met Robert um, through Facebook. Uh, we have a, a local page, and I decided to post on there, and I, I got an overwhelming response from well, the community, and uh, I'm, I was blessed to have so many people want, interested in checking out the show or even yeah. coming on the show, and that's Great. how I got Robert. So, um, And I'd love to get my local heroes out here. A, 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 you know a place to you know tell their stories and, and tell their experiences right. with the rest of the world um so i'm i'm very uh blessed to have you here and and well, that's man, great to it's, be here it's amazing this but, is um, terrific yeah so let's uh let's back up a little bit more so how did you end up in the in vietnam and did you get drafted no you, no uh, um i went to uh i got out of high school and i went to northeastern university in boston for a year I, I don't know how I got in. Uh, my grades weren't that terrific. I didn't like high school a whole lot except for math and sciences. But uh, they took me uh, conditionally. And the first year, I was away from home. I haven't been away from home. You know, I was 18 years old. And um, the work wasn't overwhelming, but it was still concentrated. And I think I got homesick a lot. I know on the weekends, I'd catch the bus and go home. Uh, it was 90 miles to Springfield, Mass, where I'm from. And I'd spend the weekend at home. And then I found out the world changed. Because after high school, it's not, your buddies aren't around anymore. And the, the, one of the lessons in life, uh, one of the tougher lessons in life was to find out, hey, you're on your own. you you got to make your own way in the world. So I had a hard time with that. And uh, so I elected... Um, to not go back to school and to join the join the uh, military, but uh, because the war was getting warm, and I figure if it's going to happen, it's got to happen now. So uh, I uh, signed up. I beat the draft by about two or three months. I don't know, and then uh, went went overseas, came home, and realized that I can't play the guitar. Uh, I'm not an actor, so I've got to do something. And uh, so I went back to school, which was a good move. I, got, I finally got my degree, and I got two degrees out of that. I learned to fly at the same time. I wanted to be an aviator. 
problem was in the Navy and the Marine Corps, their standards were very high, which they should be, and my visual acuity wasn't wasn't good enough. It was good enough for the FAA, but not for the not for the Navy. So um, being a warrant was a good move for me. I still got to put my hands on aircraft. I got to ride with those guys, which was fantastic. So for a civilian pilot to fly in military aircraft was a real kick. And then as and later on, I became a an engineer uh, out here at Edwards for Department of Defense and uh, the, and NASA, and I got to ride chase in some of the jets there. And later on, I I, uh, I flew a jet of my own and bought an ex British airplane and uh, we used it in air shows and stuff. So that was interesting and exciting. And my wife, I met my wife out there. Donna is a, uh, she was an engineer, and uh, she finally got her license, and now she's an instructor as well. So it worked out pretty well. Well, that's outstanding. So how often do you guys go out flying? Well, we try to fly once in a while. But, you know, you got to keep the airplane uh, uh, lubricated and all that. And, and uh, I believe that these machines, even though they're inanimate ob- objects, they have a soul. They have a soul. They'll tell you, hey, you're not flying me. You're not getting my oil around. I'm going <laughs> to leak on you, you know. So we try to do that as often as we can. Depends on the weather. Sometimes you got a head cold or you got allergies, you can't go. And but uh, we try to get out, you know, a couple of times a month anyway, if we can. And we really wanted to do some cross country flying because um, we've done that in the past before. Uh, but with the weather being what it is now, uh, we've got to curtail it. And now that I'm active uh, with my students, um, that really comes first because that's that's. Uh, that's a the local venue here, and uh, I enjoy doing that. So that's really what we're into right now as far as aviation is concerned. We're both members of the uh, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. We're active members with the Fox Field Association out here. Donna's president and vice president. So we, we try to interact between the pilots and the uh, county, um, and that usually, usually works out pretty well. So we're we're pretty active in the aviation world out here. Yeah, no kidding. Now, when you guys go out flying, how often do you uh, like in, in terms of how far do you guys usually go? Well, just around. You know, in times gone by, we've gone some cross country. We've gone uh, across the United States and back to Oshkosh and some other places. Uh, but recently, in the last couple of years, because of COVID and all that, we've we curtailed a lot of it. The other uh, two weeks ago, we flew over to Apple Valley just to exercise the airplane and exercise our new avionics we have in the airplane, and for training, you know, to keep us current as far as uh, man machine interface or woman machine interface. So we went over to Apple Valley. We have a pretty good restaurant over there. We had a little lunch, and we flew back, and the airplane flew fine. And uh, so that's basically what we're doing now. Nice. Now, what's the uh, furthest you've ever flown? Out across the United States. Okay. I also flew light aircraft when I was uh, in Europe. Uh, I was a member of a flying club over there, and I flew all over Europe. That's different. The, number one, the weather is not very good over there. And number two, their rules are really uh, stringent, uh, and it's, it's expensive over there. But I have flown across the United States. I've flown from here to Pensacola, 
I've flown to New England, uh, uh, flown up the coast. I, I ferried, uh, I used to ferry aircraft as well. I ferried one airplane for an old squadron mate of mine to, from here up to uh, upstate Washington. And I never seen so many trees in one place, <laughs> just flying over trees forever. Uh, and I enjoyed that. So, uh, but the big kicker is with these light aircraft, you've got to watch the weather. They're not made to go into, you know, bad weather. And uh, you, you just don't want to do that. And that's what I teach my students. You know, enjoy it, have fun, go out on a nice day. Um, different kinds of weather uh, require different kinds of skill levels. And uh, that's what you got to know. Speaking of all that, have you had any like real scary moments? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, all through the years, I imagine. Yeah, we've had. Uh, I've had times when, one time when the, uh, I had a landing gear issue. I was flying a friend. A friend of mine had a, a Spanish jet, twin-engine Spanish jet, called a Saida, which I guess is Spanish for arrow. And I checked out in it, and I flew it for him. And uh, the design was less than sterling. Let's say that. Um, and uh, put the landing gear handle down and nothing happened. Well, come to find out the hydraulics, the hydraulic uh, uh, accumulator leaked into the motor which drives the pump. And that went to hell, <laughs> as they say, down south, and uh, the gear would not come down. Uh. Fortunately, I did a pre-flight and I uh, religiously and... Uh, I made sure that the emergency system worked, and it did. Uh, blew the gear down, as they say, and we landed fine, and then I sold it. <laughs> I got rid of it. And uh, uh, that was a little bit unnerving. Uh, it wasn't like par for the course. It was a little bit unusual, and I had to just sit down on the tarmac and take a deep breath and say, well, we fooled them again. You know, we're back. <laughs> so, uh, but most... Most of the time, you know, I've I've been flying. I've got about six thousand hours of flight and pilot and command time now, including jets. And um, if you do your due diligence, you should be okay. If you have an emergency, that's what you're trained to handle. Hopefully, you're trained to handle mer emergencies. And worst cases, uh, you bring it down where you have to, uh, any way you have to. Uh, with the least amount of damage and of course you don't want to be hurt so that's what i train my students to do you know if you have an anomaly of some sort deal with it uh, know how to deal with it and and uh, hopefully the outcome is you call me on the phone and say hey robert get in your car come up and get me i had to make a forced landing uh, and the first thing i say, are you walking and talking my students say yes i say good and i come up and get them that's it so you've had some uh, calls, huh? Yeah, I had a few, but uh, looking back, nothing we couldn't handle. So uh, the ones you can't handle are the ones you really got to worry about. Right. And right. I, I don't worry too much about that. I, I've been through so much of it already that um, I think I can handle just about anything that I read about. And we constantly, we are constantly learning education you're constantly learning something especially in aviation where there's so much to know you've got regulations you've got to confine yeah conform to and all that kind of stuff and you've got to keep up with it it's a, not a one-time shot everybody thinks well you take your written exam take a check right and you're done now you're 
you're learning all the time and you're constantly practicing you're constantly keeping your brain working with your hands um and that's important and i had people you know call me and say well i, I need a new hobby i want i'm thinking about learning to fly i stop them right there and i said flying is not a hobby it's a passion and it's a very serious business you want a hobby get a sailboat you know go fishing play macrame or something <laughs> uh, but flying is a kick i mean i love it i love doing it it's like being a bird it's like seeing it the way god sees it you know but it, along with that comes the responsibility of being safe knowing what you're doing and uh, bring all the rivets home at one place you know so uh that, that that's the caveat with that yeah now so living out here in the antelope valley uh and we're close to edwards Air Force Base. Now, do you go check out the Edwards uh, Air Show and stuff like well, that? Well, I've been to the Air Show uh, a couple of years ago when I had a, uh, Donna and I owned a British jet trainer. We brought it out there. And, of course, Donna was working out there at the time. She was a flight test engineer. I have re- I had retired by then. Um, so we had a great time. The last time, the last Air Show, uh, we didn't get over there for one reason or another. They were having a hard time. Uh getting everybody in and all that and we just didn't want the hassle this time but i was for 18 years i was the flight line coordinator for the big air show the 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 country's largest air show at marine corps air station miramar Mm -hmm. so for 18 years i was the flight line coordinator both uh, as an active duty marine officer and uh as a volunteer and uh i enjoyed we enjoyed that we had a great time doing it so many aircraft in one place, so much talent in one place. Uh, we got to know all the performers, and uh, it, it was a great time. Last uh, couple of years, they've changed the, the way they're doing business, so uh, legalities and everything crept up, and, and they can't use volunteers now and all that. So that was a shame, but, you know, 18 years was a good run. Yeah, my gosh. So uh, do you have, like, a favorite jet or a uh you know, a plane oh, out there is there. I, I love them all. Yeah, but you know, I I got I got a ride, a couple of rides actually in the F4 Phantom, the old F4 Phantom. What a machine! I'm just a monster, big, powerful aircraft. Uh, I got one ride in an F15 uh, when I was working in St. Louis, and I and that that's a rocket ship. That airplane is a rocket ship. I just can't explain it any better than that. But the light aircraft, Donna and I both own a Piper. Lance, a six-place, 300-horsepower Lance, and it's great cross-country aircraft. We enjoy flying that. So uh, there are some aircraft I, w- I will not get in. Uh, well, we're not going to mention any of those. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the, uh, the and foreign aircraft, I've, I'm checked out in the MiG-15. I did A friend of mine had a MiG-15, and he wasn't a pilot, and I checked out in it. And I took it to a couple of air shows for him. Now it's gone. It's he sold it. Um, and the MiG-15 was different. It it'll kill you. The airplane will kill you if you let it. So you had to be very careful with it. Um, and the L-29, which is a Czechoslovakian trainer, my wife and I are both checked out in that. Uh, and that was that was fun to fly. And it lands at 75 miles an hour, so you can't hurt yourself real bad. And uh, so that's that's about the gist of that. Wow. Sheesh. 
Now, uh, I my experience uh, with aircraft, I worked at Northrop Grumman for uh, 15 years. They built a great airplane. Yeah, uh, we uh, worked on the F-35. I worked yeah. on all three variants. I love that engine in that airplane. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the Stovall one since it's the Marine Corps one, and it does yeah. the vertical lift and takeoff. That's pretty... Uh, it's, it's nifty. It's something, uh, you know, definitely uh, like no other, you yeah. know. <laughs> well, I just, I just can't imagine being strapped to a machine that'll that'll develop 35,000 pounds of thrust because you can accelerate straight up and I don't I at my age my body couldn't take it so uh, I'm glad the young guys are getting into the airplanes like that but I just can't I just can't imagine I mean as the way as the um, the future grows I, I I don't know how many more uh, pilot fighters we will have well you know, you know I mean? that's that's the thing um that's a good point. That's a good point, Brian, because, you know, the human body can only take so much. They say, well, you can take a seven G's. You can take seven G's for a few seconds. After that, you're going to black out. It just, it just, uh, uh, physics and uh, biology and you can't get around it. Uh, you can wear a G suit, you wear oxygen and then you brush your suit and all that. And that's okay. But, uh, you still can, can only take that kind of abuse for a short amount of time. And you come back, and it, I got a ride in an F-4 on a chase out here at Edwards when we were chasing on a, another airplane out for flight test. And after an hour, we got back and landed, and crew chief came up the ladder and looked at me, and I, I guess I looked pretty sad. I think I was white as a sheet. <laughs> he, he says, sir, are you okay? I said, yeah, I just got to sit a minute. He says, sir, I got to get you out of the seat. I got to pin the seat. I got to get you out of the airplane. So I climbed out of that Martin Baker seat and he pinned the seat and I made sure the pins were okay. I climbed down the ladder and I got into the maintenance debrief and sat down and, and I was I was just I was beat uh yanking and banking around and stuff. Even though you're physically not working or lifting bales or anything, it beat you up. Uh you take a beating and uh it's not for us old guys anymore. It just isn't. Uh, and and the young guys have to be in good shape to do that kind of stuff. So I can see where uh, the electronics and the the UAVs and all these magical things that are coming along are going to be the are the wave of the future. And people say to me, "Well, Robert, you know, you're talking about getting rid of pilots, getting rid of airplanes." I said, "No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the heavy lifting stuff." And the uh, 9G turn and all that kind of, that's going away because the machines are so capable that the human being isn't. And to be trained to operate like that, I mean, you got to be the best of the best. Well, how far does that go? I mean, how best can you be before you're burned out? So, and landing on a carrier, I, I did that once on a C2. I was sitting in the back and it's like being in Jonah the whale. You can't see out. You, <laughs> you're just hoping you stop. You know, when you stop and no water's coming up, then you know you you're on the boat. Wow! Um, so I, I got out to I got out to Lexington once on on one of those. I got to hop a ride, and then we launched again. And that was a real kick in the ass. And I'm telling you, these young Navy guys are just superb. These guys are well trained. But how much of that can you you know you got to burn out after a while? Um, so I'm thinking that the stuff that you're doing now, and what's coming along is really remarkable. And I think that's a wave of the future. I think you're still going to have manned machines. You're going to have oversight and all. you got to have that. But I'm thinking 
the capabilities are going to be so exceeding that um, you're going to have to be on the ground watching. I think what I think that's uh, what's going to yeah, happen. I do think what you're going to start seeing a little bit more of too is, and and everybody always says playing video games, but you might see a lot more pilots sitting uh, down at a at, at a you know behind a screen flying a flying a, a big jet. You're 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 seeing that now. This is where I have a little bit of a rub with some folks when they say, well, you know, you're going to get on this uh, Boeing uh, jetliner and there's nothing up front but a bunch of diodes and triodes and electrons. and say, Well, I'm here to tell you, I, <laughs> I want somebody up there driving a bus. <laughs> I want somebody up there with a brain that can operate and can make instantaneous decisions maybe with the help of all this avionics yes but the day of you strap yourself into a, a you know a, a inanimate machine and hope for the best i'm not i don't think we're there yet i don't yeah. think we're going to be there for a while just like supersonic everybody well the 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 uh, concord well concord was a wild machine but it went supersonic it went way high altitude and thank God they never had a puncture in the, in the uh, fuselage or anything, or everybody would have been gone. The way they did lose a couple were bad tires, the fire from the tires and things. But uh, all this supersonic testing and everything for airliners. The truth is, and you can doubt this if you want to, but I was in that business for a long time, and I'm here to tell you that, number one, the airlines are not interested. They can't afford it the machines are so capable that if you have one anomaly you're going to kill a whole lot of people at one time and they're not into that they don't want that they want better they want like a 787 that can carry 300 people and make money that's really what they need and that's what boeing has given them um this supersonic airliner thing that's down the road some but uh, do you have to get to london in two hours i don't think so I mean, the food's okay over there now, <laughs> and, and, and folks are very nice, and I spend time there, uh, but I don't need to get there in two hours. Uh, actually, if I had my choice, they said, hey, uh, I want you to go to Europe. Okay, well, put me in a boat. You know, you get three meals a day in a boat. You get a little gym going on on the stern back there. Meet some sweet young things if you're a single guy, <laughs> whatever. Take it ahead here, you know. Uh, and you get there in three days or four days. I'd rather do that. As a matter of fact, if you're going across the United States, I've done that many times on commercial airliners when I had to go commercial, and uh, you wait at the air. You got to get to the airport. You got to stow your car somewhere. You got to get and you go through the line and the whole thing. Then you finally get on a plane. Then you schlep for four and a half hours. Then you get in Atlanta. You're there for three hours. Hopefully, you can find a burger or something to eat. And then you got to get a, a, another plane to go somewhere else. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, somebody brought this up a long time ago. I think it was uh, Caltrans or somebody. But if you get on a train here in L.A., in LA, if you get on a train, a bullet train like they have in Japan and other places, get on a bullet train at 5, 5 p.m. our time, West Coast, and you launch out, and you've got a sleeper car, and you have a dining car, and you read the paper, and TV going on, and everything. It's almost like being home, only going 185 miles an hour. 
and you, the next morning at 7.30, you're in, and you're in New York. You're refreshed. You've got to change your clothes. This and that. Have a little breakfast. And you go to your meeting or whatever. I'd much rather do that. I think I'd rather do that than schlep through airports and, and uh, cattle cars and the whole thing. I, uh, that flying, there's just a lot of variations of flying. One is being in a cattle car, which I don't like. I don't, very few people do. Looking out the window used to be fun and looking in the cockpit and see who's up there and say, hey, you got any of you guys Marines, you know? And one guy would go like this, yeah, I don't know, I'm not a Marine. Or guy would be wearing the Navy Navy wings. I'd say, Navy or Marine? Navy. I said, yo, that'll do. You're, you're well-trained. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. But that's that's flying to get to somewhere. Well, you're going to say, well, that, that's what you do in your little airplane, your little Piper. Yeah, but we're driving. And we're, we're, we're using our skills and our brains, and, and, and it's fun. And uh, it's a skill that we can do, and we can go where we want, stop where we want. If you don't like, like the weather, we don't go. We stay, well, we've been known to you know, stay overnight because of weather. We've done that. You just got to be uh, able to do that. You can't be in a hurry because <laughs> that'll bite you. So uh, those are the different kinds of flying. The kinds of flying I like to do now is uh, is is uh, the skills in not only that, but I'm teaching somebody else the ability to do that as well. But getting on a cattle car anymore is not a thrill. <laughs> it just isn't a thrill. And getting through the airports and everything, what a and days gone by. It was different, and you know it was fun. But uh, I I just don't care for it anymore. I don't I don't like doing that. If I I rather take my own plane if I can. Yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like you want to be able to party on your on your de- on your way to your destination. <laughs> well, and, uh, well, it, it, well, the truth be known, Brian. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> you're flying all day. You're stopping for fuel a couple of times. You get to a your your remain overnight destination, wherever that may be, halfway up your trip or wherever, and you land, and you talk to the guys that are at the fixed base operator there tie down your airplane make sure it's secure and you get your bags out and either you're renting a car or they give you a crew car what they call a crew car or they get you a ride to a hotel you get to the hotel you're a little hungry but you don't want to eat too much you don't want to feel like a hunk of lead when you get in a plane so you get a little and then you're tired because you're working all day you yeah, are working your brain yeah. is working all day you know all those electrons going through your going through your head have been been active all day long and you're tired and your nerves have been on a little bit on you know they can be there's i'm sure Sure. there's a little bit of some nervy yeah like uh with donald donald will lean over and say hey robert check your heading check your altitude you know she she keeps an eye on me so anyway we get that you're tired and you're glad to you're glad to hit the rack now the old days of partying and that was when i was in the military in the marine corps Oh, they can party. <laughs> those guys are, those guys are something else. We go, we go on deployment, and we take over the club. Oh yeah, <laughs> we take over the club, and we have a great time. But that's frowned on now. Um, the drinking and all that—that's that's frowned on. It's been frowned on for years. But but I'm telling you, there was some whoopie doos going may be, on. It may be frowned on, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stop. It doesn't. It, stop. it doesn't stop nobody, yeah. right? So, and now that we're talking some marine, let's let's talk some marine stories a little right. bit. So now, where all were you stationed? Oh God, I was 
My first squadron was NAS Jacksonville, VMA 142, A4 Reserve Squadron. Uh, when I got out of college, I finished school, came back up to New England. Uh, I got a job with Pratt Whitney Aircraft uh, as an engineer for them, and I joined VMA 322 at Marine or, or Naval Air Station, South Weymouth. So it was the New England Marine Air Reserve Squadron, and that was a great bunch. Uh, they flew out over Cape Cod. They did all kinds of stuff. We transpacked here. We transpacked there. And we had the Marine Corps ball in 1973. The Marine Corps ball was held at the Playboy Club in Boston. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you what happened there. But it oh, was man. a goings-on, man. I'm sure it was a uh, great time with I bet you if the Commandant knew about it, he'd have been there too. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a great time. So uh, and then I went overseas for my company uh, for a couple of years, and I came back and joined um, uh, VMA, uh, VMO-4. Uh, observation Squadron 4, they had the OV-10, twin-engine turboprop observation aircraft. And they were at Dobbins Air Force Base, and the corner of Dobbins was given to the Navy. So they called it NAS Dobbins, but it was really an Air Force Base. But at NAS Dobbins, there was two squadrons. There was a squadron of helicopters, attack helicopters, uh, H-1Js, and, a, and our squadron of OV-10s. And I was in the OV-10 unit. Uh, but the maintenance officer next door in the helicopter uh, outfit heard I was a field engineer for Pratt & Whitney. And there were Pratt & Whitney engines on the, on the helicopter. So I, I was loaned out to them once in a while, which I enjoyed doing. They were a great bunch. So I had a great time. with I was with that squadron for a couple of years. And then I finally came out to the West Coast to work for uh, DOD, and I joined the squadron at Tustin, uh, helicopter squadron at Tustin, and then they needed an officer in charge for a, a new unit up at Alameda, which doesn't exist anymore, but Alameda was right across the bay from San Francisco, so I used to fly a little airplane up there for my drills, and I joined that unit up there, and they made me OIC for two years of a second-level maintenance organization, and I took guys from different squadrons, put them together, made sure they had the schooling they needed and everything helped them along. And we had a great unit when I left. So I got a nice letter out of it and all that. So um, I commanded that unit. For a warrant officer, it's a little different. I was a little strange, but they, gave, they said, you're it, uh, good. And they gave me another guy, and I had some great NCOs. So those NCOs I had were top of the line, great, great folks. I mean, these were professionals. So I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. And then uh, uh, so I was with that squadron. And then I joined HMH 769, which came out here to Edwards for two years for Enduring Freedom. And I joined them. And that was it. So I was, wow. so I was in OV-10s. I was in uh, A-4s, two squadrons of A-4s, one squadron OV-10s, a couple of squadrons of Helos. So I got to see it all. Man, got to gosh. see it all now now out of all those what's your favorite do you have a favorite oh uh, yeah i got a hop in a two-seater a10 a4 i enjoyed that but the ov10 squadron they knew i was a commercial pilot so some of the guys let me ride with them occasionally 
Not not all, not always. When I could, I'd, I'd like to get the enlisted guys in the back seat. If I if they had an open seat, I'd get one of my guy, one of my enlisted guys, because they don't get to do it. Um, and and when we went out to Yuma, we went out for two weeks to Yuma, and uh, we were out on the range. And the CEO says, "Hey, you gotta fly, you gotta fly the range, you gotta get a range hop." So I got in the back of one of the guys, and we went out on the range, and it was fun. We shot up stuff and everything. It was cool. Uh, but the OV-10 was fun, and it was, it wasn't a jet, it was a turboprop, safe airplane, uh, landing 200 feet if you had to, and it did have a back seat, and it had a, uh, uh, the ejection seat was very fast. The LW-3 seat, I had to learn how to use it. I never needed it, but it was there, and I think the OV-10 was one of my, one of the funnest, most fun squadrons I was in. Nice. Now, what about uh, duty stations? What would be your uh, top duty station, do you well, think, out of all the duty stations you've been to? I would say, thinking back and off the top of my head, Brian, I would say probably Tustin. And I'll tell you why. Because you're right there in Orange County. In the evening, if you had no night ops going on or anything, some of the guys would go down to uh, on the water to Balboa, you know, get seafood or something. So I was a little different than being here in the desert. That's right. why I enjoy Tustin, I think. And uh, a lot going on there. A lot of different kinds of squadrons uh, were at Tustin and uh, uh, the, the Orange County facility, uh, which made it interesting. So I, I, off the top of my head, I would say Tustin for a duty station. Alameda was okay, but that traffic around San Francisco was awful. Uh, it was, yeah. that was tough getting in there getting out of there uh, when I could I flew up there from here for my for, for, uh, for my uh, drill weekends and and occasionally I'd have to go up there uh, because I was OIC of the unit I had to get up there a couple of times during the week or during the month and that was okay uh, it was interesting and the view from across the bay was terrific um, but as far as if I was stationed somewhere full-time Tustin would have been a choice nice nice now uh out of your 40 years is there a favorite story a good marine story that sticks out to you or that or you have too many well there's a few a lot war story number 46 (laughs) (laughs) i gotta tell you okay there we were in yuma in the ov10 unit we transpacked our ov10s to yuma for two weeks active duty tour along with that our aircraft we also had a c-119 a hand-me-down from the air reserve and it said u.s air force on the side but it was marked out and then the marines were put on top of it it was an old leaky twin engine cargo plane i rode on that one i got to ride on that one all the way out to yuma and back and i look out the window and had a big doghouse kind of cockpit i look out the window and i Asked the uh, the crew chief, the first mech. He was a he was a young sergeant, nice guy. I say, hey, Sarge. I said, look, sergeant. I said, you don't call him sergeant in Marines. Yeah. He said, hey, sergeant. Isn't that leaking oil? <laughs> the engine, oil recip engine. He said, sir. He says, when it quits leaking, we're in trouble. I said, <laughs> 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 so I just sat there with my fingers crossed, my eyes closed. <clears throat> but we get to Yuma. Our commanding officer was Lieutenant Colonel 
big guy, great guy. How he got in an OV-10, I don't know. But he was our commander. He made colonel. He got promoted to colonel, got the word while we were out there. So that night, <clears throat> uh, the XO and a CEO and a couple of guys got together and said, look, we're going to have a squadron party tomorrow night out here at the club. We're going to rent the club or whatever we got to do. We're going to go into town and get nachos and stuff. Yuma, that's Mexican food par excellence. There's a place <laughs> called Cretines. It still exists. And there's Marine Corps plaques all over the walls in that place. And they had takeout. So, so the old man calls me in. He says, Stambowski, he says, listen, you don't drink, do you? I said, no, sir. <clears throat> I did. I didn't drink. <clears throat> he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. We're going to call an order in to Cretines. You got to go down, take the, take the staff car. Take the staff car and go down. Now, don't wear a flying suit. Put on your camis. You'll get through the gate, no problem. I guess he greased the guy at the gate. I don't know how he did that. <laughs> so I get to the gate, and the Marine passes me through. I get into town. I got to Cretines, and there's sheets, four or five sheets of these nachos. And I'm here to tell you, those jalapenos will burn your burn the top of your head off but anyway <laughs> i got him in the trunk i got him out to the base got him over to the party and about 11 30 12 o'clock almost midnight and these guys had a flying schedule the next day about quarter about quarter of 12 <laughs> i couldn't make this up the ceo calls me over he says stambo he says you're the only sober guy in the outfit right now i want you to go over to whittier across the across the California line, Arizona and California. That's where the line was. Well, in Arizona, things closed down an hour before they do in California, all the booze joints. He said, I want you to go across, across the state line, find a 7-Eleven and buy beer. He gave me a list of stuff. Gave me a, gave me a pot full of money. <laughs> I said, sir, are you sure you want me to? Yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. I'll get you a hop tomorrow. I'll put you in OV-10 tomorrow. I said, I want, to take, I want to choose the pilot. I want to choose the guy who's not drinking, you know. So anyway, I go across to the California, California side. I find a 7-Eleven. I walk in there. I said, this is for my Marines. Guy gave me a discount. I had cases of beer, this and that. Get in the, get in the staff car. And I thought, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to get to the, I'm going to get to the gate. And the kid's going to throw me in a brig, you know. <laughs> Sir, what are you doing? I said, listen, I got to tell you the truth because I haven't got time. I haven't got time to lie to you. This is it. I got bar, beer and stuff. My, gut, my, my CEO got promoted to full colonel. Just let me buy. Just let me buy. And the guy, I thought he was going to cry. I thought I had him, I had him in tears, you know. I said, <laughs> I got to get, get through this. I got a hop to take tomorrow, you know. So I got through the gate and I was a hero. I got to, brought the beer, I brought the nachos. I was a hero. So anyway, the next day, the young man put me in one of the OV-10s, went out to the Chocolate Mountain Range, and we came in in threes, and we shot up targets and all kinds of stuff. It was a great time. So the OV-10 outfit was a good bunch. It was a great bunch. And um, uh, so that's one more story. Another one is uh, uh, in my last squadron, we had CH-53s, big heavy lifters, single single rotor, big heavy. It's like an apartment building on a, with a rotor on top, you know, 70,000-pound aircraft. 
So um, we, they were going on a night hop. They had three, four aircraft were going on a night hop, night vision goggle training. So they asked me if I want to go. I said, no, nah, I can't see out there. It's pitch black out there. I'm not doing that. And I can't help you. I'm not going to be sitting up front or anything. So I, I elected not to go. But what I did was when the guys walked to the, after they briefed and they walked to the aircraft getting ready to start them, I had oranges. I don't know where I got them, but I got, had a bunch of oranges. So I went from one aircraft to the next. And the guys had their helmet bags, the, 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 the crew and the, and the aviators. And I put a, I gave everybody an orange. <laughs> I said, when you get back, have an orange. It'll be, you know, the orange is good for you. Yeah. The old man looked at me and he, <laughs> he says, I'm going to call you Mother Goose. <laughs> you take, you take, eat, eat, like eat, a grand, eat, eat your fruit. <laughs> eat your, he said, you take care of us like a grandma. Oh, man. And I did. I was the oldest guy in the squadron. And, and uh, I, I revered those guys. I just revered them for what they could do, you know, for their intellect and their skills. And uh, they worked so hard. And um, so that was sort of fun. And uh, well, there's a bunch of other things that come to mind over time. I'll think of them much more on the way home tonight, but this afternoon. But anyway, uh, those are some of the things that, that hit me. And uh, but the be one of the best things was when I found out one of my one of my guys, uh, one of my one of my staff sergeants. Uh, uh, this was a squadron up in San Francisco, up at Alameda. This guy was a reservist. He was a uh, he worked in numbers and everything. He was uh, insurance, and he was uh, working in admin. He was working in admin maintenance admin. And that's very important because you've got to keep track of all your maintenance and what goes where and what's ordered and all that kind of stuff. It's big deal. So I was staff sergeant, and he called me over to his office, and uh, he said, sir, he says, I should have been promoted, and I got passed, back, passed over. I said, what do you mean you got passed over? He says, well, I haven't heard from anybody, and, and I got a letter that I was consider being considered for for a gunnery sergeant, which is a big deal, as you know. Being a gunny is God almighty. You know? <laughs> your warrant officer, great. I'm a gunny. Oh, well, let me get out of your way. So, <laughs> let me get out of your way, gunny. So anyway, uh, I knew Lee Early, by the way. I knew him personally. But anyway, uh, I called headquarters Marine Corps. I called him, and uh, I got permission from my CEO to call him. I said, this is the guy. What's going on? Oh, his paperwork at lost this in it. I said, listen, the guy's an ace. He's terrific. He's good at what he does. He does it as a civilian. I never had a problem with this guy. Guy's terrific. I want him promoted. I want him promoted. Why can't he not be promoted? I'll get back to you tomorrow. Okay. Guy got back to me tomorrow. The guy was a gunny. Called me from headquarters Marine His promotion papers will be en route next week. I said, you promise? He says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So I told my, my CEO, I said, He's promoted, and we'll present it to him, you know, squadron base, you know, do that. When it comes down, we'll promote it. So I called him. I went over to his office. I said, you're going to be a gunnery sergeant next week, and it's retroactive. It'll last you for five months. Damn. That's, that's not right. That's not right. Yeah. And, and the beauty, the beauty of being able to take care of your people was the greatest thing I ever did as a Marine, taking care of my people as best I could, 
um, was the greatest thing I ever accomplished or feel, felt I could accomplish. You know, doing the mission on land, you know, uh, that's what our job was. But um, taking care of your people was as important as anything. And our, one of our generals told us that too. And so this was one example where I, I was able, not because of my rank or anything else, but because it, it needed to be done. If I didn't do it, somebody else would have done it. Somebody yeah. else would have done it because he'd have complained to somebody, which he should do. And uh, because it's not right, it's not right. And you don't, you don't screw anybody over. You can't do that. Um, so I think that's one of the best accomplishments I did in 39 years was get him, get him promoted to gunny. That's awesome. And, and I'm proud of that because um, if I had a problem, I'd want somebody to go to bat for me. You know, a righteous problem. And the guy had a righteous issue. Go to bat for him and get it fixed. And that's important. I think it's important in anywhere, especially when you've got an organization like the US, United States Marine Corps. Well, it's important for uh, the sake of retention. You know exactly, what I mean? Exactly. If you want your people to come back. That's right. You know, you, you, you to, keep I, smacking someone in the face. I don't think they're going to come up to you much they're gonna anymore. They're going to walk away. Right. They're going to walk away, and they should. Yeah. You know. So, anyway, those are some of the fun things that happened and the good things that happened. It was a lot of work, a lot of long hours. God knows that. But, you know, when you look back on it, I'd do it again. My body couldn't take it, but I do it again. Yeah, I've had I've had some replacement parts since, and you know they say, well, at sixty you've got to get out. There's good reasons for that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, because you can't stay, you can't keep up with those kids anymore. You just can't. Our mind can, but no. uh, yeah, the, the body rest can't. Of it, the rest of you right. get tired. You yeah, know? my eighteen-year-old daughter wanted to race me, and uh, I thought, wow, oh, you know, piece of cake. I'm forty-two. Guy. I got this still. She smoked me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. Happens. In my mind, I was like, I got this. Yeah. But nah, she smoked me. So the best thing, <laughs> the best thing, the, 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 what you take out of that is pass your knowledge, pass down your knowledge. And when I retired, when I had to retire, you know, everybody said, well, it's sad you had to get out. You can't wear the uniform anymore. And, this, and that was true. I, I felt bad about that. But. Then my CEO called me in and he says, Stambo, oh, we're putting you in for a medal, this and that. I said, thank you, I appreciate it. Got me a nice letter from the commanding general. He says, but, and he says, I'm getting out too. I got to get out. He made full colonel. He had to get out. So we sat down, cried in our beer a little, and then he says to me something that I, I've never forgotten. He says, you know, look out the window I look out the window down hangar bay the kids are working on the machines and they're doing their thing and the, and, the, and all that look out the window yes sir he says look what's coming up behind us they're good have no fear they'll carry on and I never forget that and that's why I, I feel good about it I did my thing everybody says you did your thing you got good folks coming up behind you and that's true. Not everywhere, but it's the places I were. I were. I worked. The guys that came up behind us were, they're going to carry on. They're going to carry on. And it, and that when we say Semper Fidelis, always faithful, that's true. So when they say Semper Fi, that means carry on. 
and the same same tradition and keep the faith. And I think that's what we're doing. Yeah, and that's one thing that's uh, great about the Marine Corps is uh, they're very good with tradition. Yeah. And one of the biggest traditions they've always had is is uh, developing a, a true war fighter. That's it. And, uh, you know, the ones that want to run towards the fire, not away from it. Um, but, you know, uh, the Marine Corps is is has been amazing. It's like here we are. Uh, we're generations apart, but yeah. we're yeah, we're right. we're like brothers, you know. That's and we it. can sit here, we can have conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, like no, you know, I have the utmost respect for you because you laid the groundwork, you know, for for a marine like me, and for our fellow marines. I mean, and we that's all we do is while we're that's in, what we're doing that's right. We're 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 we're, we're, <laughs> we're laying our foundation and keeping it building as it goes, right? And uh, I think that uh, no matter what, and in, in no matter where the world's at, the one thing you can rest assured is is that the United States is going to produce some badass war fighters. That's right. Yeah, and one of the coolest things, <clears throat> you know, technology is a great thing, and you see every once in a while these guys are they have their truck. I have a nice truck. <clears throat> Or a motorcycle. I'm not a motorcycle guy because I think they're dangerous. But yeah. <clears throat> I don't want to break anything. Or I He's can't saying they're dangerous and he flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I fly an airplane, but at least I got a floor. You know, right, I, I got control. Yeah. But <clears throat> that's another deal altogether. But I see some of these guys and they have these beautiful lacquer paint jobs on their truck. USMC. And they have the globe and anchor on the hood or something. I always ask a guy, where did you get that done? You know, my car is actually getting it done right now. It's uh, it's a wrap that you go do, and I'm actually putting it I on. I gotta find out where you do. Okay, that. so when it comes back, I I'll show you it. the pictures of it all. Yeah. And it's getting wrapped with like the the American flag, and then I'm putting the eagle, oh. eagle globe and anchor in it. That's uh, awesome. So awesome. yeah, my wife uh, surprised me with that. So yeah, uh, I can't wait to to have the I final product, that. and I'll, I'll show yeah. it to you. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I'm that's gonna cool. be one of those guys rolling around uh, oh, the valley like with that. That's right. <laughs> but uh. Is there anything else, uh, Robert, that you'd like to share with us? Any, you know, last, uh, you know, any really, you know, things that you want everybody else to know? Well, uh, I'll say this to young folks that are still in school, high school, junior high school, those kinds of places, and uh, maybe looking at getting into the military uh, one way or the other. I would say from experience um i went in and then i got an education and then stayed in the reserves and then went on active duty and back in the reserve it worked out okay for me as it were as, as time shows but what i recommend is if you have an idea what you want to do stay in school get your education because an educated with a your ed, your education puts you in better stead uh, and it gives you an edge uh, and your promotion and everything else comes along better so I would say stay in school get your education now if you can't decide what you want to do or there's money issues God knows that happens uh, then do the best you can with what you got but always keep in mind that that education thing that piece of paper is your ticket to ride. It's your ticket to ride. It gets your foot in the door. I'm not saying it's magic. And the other thing I'm saying, I'm, I want to say is 
go study something useful. You know, this, uh, you know, er, early French poetry, uh, forget that. <laughs> That's not going to do any good for you. You can do it as a hobby, but really get get something that you can use that's needed uh, and stay in school as best you can because that's your ticket to ride whether you go in the military or, or anything else. Um, if I had to do it again, I'm not complaining. I, I, I you know, I, I, I did okay. But if I had to do it again, that first year I went to school, I should have stayed in school, got my degree in England, I'd have been a lot better off. I'd have retired as a lieutenant colonel instead of a chief warrant officer, which is not a big deal, but because uh, it's only a dollar ninety-eight difference a month, I think. But <laughs> I'd have got there a lot quicker. Um, and I'm just saying, uh, I had I had uh, young enlisted guys, and I had young NCOs, and you could tell the guys that had some kind of education, or they they were pursuing it. They're, they're miles ahead of anybody else in the league. So uh, that's what I would tell youngsters coming up now. You want to go into service, you want to do this? Great. Get as much education, learn as much as you can, as far as you can, and then do the best you can with what you got and then press on and always go move forward. That's what we train. You know, lock, lock and load, fix bayonets, and go forward. That, that would be my best advice to anybody coming along. That's great advice. And uh, like I said, once again, Robert, I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time, sharing your stories and your experiences with us. This is great. I appreciate you doing this. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm I'm glad that I have a Marine (laughs) on here with me as my first uh, in-person guest. And uh, man, it's been much of a pleasure. But uh, friends and family, thank you guys so much again for watching Every Day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. If you guys uh, could like, share the show, that would help a lot. Until next time, Urgh.